You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. A full and hearty trust in the promises of God is the prerequisite for any of Abraham's works. And for ours, of course, is too. Some people think of faith and works this way. They think like, here's faith as one horse, and here's works as another horse. And look at them. They're sort of independent there. They would work a lot better if we put them together and harness them together, and now they can pull the chariot faster. No, that's not it. It's not that faith and works work alongside one another. It's that faith energizes the works to happen. There are no works apart from faith. In today's message, Pastor Tom teaches through the book of James chapter 2 about both faith and works. He'll remind you that the two just don't work alongside one another, they're weaved together. For faith energizes the works to happen. When you've put your faith in Christ, it becomes living and active, meaning you want to live as Jesus lived. You want to love as Jesus loved. You want to bring about healing and you want to feed the hungry. Is your faith living and active? Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 2. As he continues his message, is your faith dead or living? James 2, 14 to 26. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Notice James' concern. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith... Now, he's talking about a kind of faith that's not really the faith that Paul would talk about. It's a dead kind of intellectual faith. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body... Without the Spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James is not disagreeing with Paul. James probably had not even heard of Paul's teachings because this was written around 45 A.D. when this letter was written. And Paul's first missionary journey to Cyprus and to the Galatian region was begun in 47 or 48 A.D. The Jerusalem Council is sort of a marker date at 49 A.D. Their similar wording, we admit, is a bit confusing until you understand the different errors that they were correcting. Paul, as I said before, opposed Jewish legalists who thought they could gain merit with God by good works. James was opposing people who were already claimed to have faith but did not show their faith with works of charity, mercy, and love. He said, that's a dead faith. That's not a real faith. Both Paul and James agreed that you are saved by faith, not by works. They both agreed works must follow faith to show that you have the kind of faith that saves. The works don't justify you before God legally. James says they justify the reality of your faith before men and God. 
Now, as review, in verses 14 through 20, James presented nine attributes of what a dead faith is. You don't want to have this kind of faith. We talked about this the last couple of times. It's a faith which neither Paul or James would consider a true faith. What was that dead faith like? Just review those verses, 14 to 20. A dead faith is a self-deceived faith because a person actually thinks he believes in God and Christ and he doesn't in any saving way. And so it's a very dangerous kind of faith. It's a faith that's separate from good works. It's a faith that does not save. It's a faith that has no acts of mercy. Prophets, nobody else, not even themselves. It's called dead. In other words, it's lifeless. It can't be demonstrated to anyone and no one can know whether you have that kind of faith because no one can see it. It's a dead orthodoxy. Even the demons can affirm the truths associated with that faith, but they shudder in fear at the coming judgment of God on them. And in verses 19 and 20, it's something to repent from. You're to turn away from it. It's foolish. You're not to have that kind of a faith. Today, we get the pleasure of moving on, verses 21 through 25, and, and getting to the positive side of all of this and seeing some illustrations of the opposite. What does someone who has a living faith look like? Well, we're going to have two examples here. The first is going to be Abraham, and we'll spend longer time here because the text does as well. Look at verses 21 through 24. The living faith of Abraham, unlike this dead faith already. Verse 21, was not, another one of the rhetorical questions here from James, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? The answer, of course, is yes. James chooses Abraham as his first and primary example of what he means by a living faith. Why does he choose Abraham? Because Abraham is the quintessential example of faith in the Old Testament. There's one guy who's the sample, the example of faith in the OT. It is Abraham. Abraham, the man of faith, followed God by faith, ventured out by faith, believed God without seeing, a man of faith. He is the father of our faith today. He is the father of the Jewish faith. He's the father of the Jews biologically, but he is also the father of all who have faith in Christ, all those Jews, of course, who trust in Christ. We are children of Abraham by faith. Galatians 3.29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. We have a promise that Abraham had. We believe in that promise. We become his spiritual children as well. You know, Abraham is such a revered figure of faith that he's still reverenced by Christians, Jews, and even Muslims to this day. The Muslims really revere Abraham, at least uh, outwardly they do, and they uh, believe he is such a man of faith. They call him the friend of God, just as this text says. If Abraham is the most famous example of faith in all of the Old Testament, then Abraham offering up Isaac on Mount Moriah is the highest pinnacle of the example of Abraham's faith in all the Bible. That climactic event is so important. The Jews even had a name for it. They called it the Akedah, which means the binding where Isaac was bound and put on the altar to be killed. Of course, Abraham's journey of faith began long before offering up Isaac on the altar. It began way back in Ur of the Chaldeans, where he received a promise from God. Go forth from your country, Abraham, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, leave all of that, in other words, to the land which I will show you. Now you know why it's called the promised land, right? And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Great promises given to Abraham very early on, chapter 12 in Genesis. So Abraham did. He journeyed to the land of promise. He endured all of the ups and downs of life in the promised land. There was a famine. He was childless. He had conflict with Lot's herdsmen. 
There was conflict in his own home because in weakness of faith, he tried to solve the fact that he and his old wife, Sarah, didn't have a baby. And how do you get a bunch of heirs and a promise and a kingdom and a nation and lots of descendants if you don't even have one son? So he tried to, you know, Sarah and and he tried to concoct some kind of a plan there. And Hagar got involved and all got messed up. And there was a lot of ups and downs. At one point in chapter 15 of Genesis, he was told that his heir would come out of his own body. And that one day he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And it says that he believed God's promise. Toward the end of his life, he was given the supreme test of his faith. And this is recorded in Genesis chapter 22. God told him, this is after many, many years of walking with God, so keep that in mind. God told him, Isaac's been born by now, his child of promise is there. And he says, take your son, your only son, because he's the only son of promise. And then he adds, whom you love, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering to me on Mount Moriah. Take him and uh, kill him and burn him up as an offering to me. Do you ever get confused when God tells you to do stuff? I would imagine since he didn't have a Bible to read, oh, I see, this is how God tests people. He didn't have that. (laughs) See, sometimes you criticize people's faith in the Bible. They're way ahead of us. So he goes, without delay, without complaint, without question. He didn't tell Sarah. He didn't tell his servants what he's up to. He didn't even tell Isaac. And they walked the two days to Mount Moriah. I think that's where Jerusalem uh, was, and the same place where Christ was crucified, same mountain. And as he's going, I wonder what he's thinking about, right? This isn't just about killing his son. His son embodies all of the promises that God had given him and made to him for decades that he'd been following, that he would look like an absolute fool if they didn't come true. If he kills Isaac, what's going to happen to the whole plan? You know that bit about me having many descendants and a great nation and a great name and bringing blessing to all the families of the earth. That little part, God, I wonder if he was thinking about that. In Genesis 21, it says, in Isaac, your seed will be called. In Isaac, not somebody else, not Ishmael. I'll put it to you this way. Without Isaac, Abraham would die in a foreign land without any hope of ever seeing his promises fulfilled. Without Isaac, we wouldn't even be talking about Abraham today. We would never even known his name. He's just some ancient guy that died. We would never even know. But Abraham's response was immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. That's an obedience of faith. He trusted God. You know, at one point, Isaac says, I see all the wood and everything. Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? He was old enough to walk, and he was old enough to figure that out. And remember Abraham's response? God will provide the lamb, my son. Faith. Finally, Abraham reached the top of the mountain, left the servants behind. And as he stood there at the summit, he had come to the climax, not just of his hike up a steep mountain, really the climax of his lifelong walk with God. It began many years before, as we said, in Ur. And what heights of faith this man had come to. Abraham had walked with God and not abandoned the faith all the way through, being mostly alone with his wife to assist Sarah, a woman of faith also. He'd come the full distance, and there on the top, there's no hesitancy that we read anywhere in Genesis 22. He builds the altar. That took some time. He arranges the wood. He bound Isaac, and by this time, Isaac is understanding and cooperating. He takes the knife that he brought. He raises it up above. He stretches his hand, 
And every indication was that he was not playing games. He was, he was going to plunge that knife into Isaac. By doing this, Abraham demonstrated his faith, his ultimate trust in God. What was going on in his head? Hebrews 11 tells us. I'm kind of glad. Verses 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. Abraham considered, here's what he was thinking. Abraham considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. From which he also received Isaac back as a type, a type of Christ. Abraham thought, I have to kill Isaac. It's what God said to do. How's this all going to play out? How's this going to work? I'm going to kill him. God will raise him from the dead. And the promises will continue. That's not what God was going to do. But that's what Abraham considered. His faith was in the resurrection, resurrecting power of God. Isn't that amazing? This is long before Jesus raised from the dead, you understand. You haven't heard of any Jesus raised from the dead. Abraham was willing to make that sacrifice because he believed in God's promises and his character so much, he'd carry it through all the way to the end. Now, from God's perspective, God made Abraham do this, to walk up that mountain, to put his son on the altar. You realize God could stop that at any point in time, right? The whole thing is built. Isaac is built the binding, the akedah, the knife is raised, and only at that point does God call, the angel of the Lord call from heaven and say what? Stop. Do not harm the lad. For now, I know that you fear me and love me above even your son. Now, we have this little doctrine in the Bible called the uh, omniscience of God. Ever heard of it? And that states that God knows everything and never learns anything. He doesn't push Siri and figure out stuff. He doesn't consult encyclopedias. He doesn't try to look into the future to figure out what's going to happen. He's already created the future. Everything, he's an unbelievable being. We just, we can't fit that into our head. He knows everything. So he never learns anything. So whenever you read in the Bible, God saying, now I know. What he's really saying is now I have shown and everyone knows. Abraham now knows that his faith was that way. Sometimes we don't even know what our faith is capable of, right? What are you capable of? I can't do that. And then God works and you figure that out. Now Sarah understood Abraham's faith. Now all of Abraham's children would understand Abraham's All of the spiritual beings and angels who are looking down and trying to figure all that, they understand what Abraham's faith is now. Now everybody knows. It's been demonstrated, because you can't see faith, that his faith is real, and this is how strong his faith is. This is how far his faith will go. And really, this account was preserved for our benefit. So when the knife was raised, God said, I've seen enough. What needed to be proven has now been proven. Stop. The test is complete. It's pass or fail. Abraham passed. I don't know if it was ABC. I think he got an A+. That's just me. This is the man who once laughed when God said his old wife Sarah would bear him a child. Now he said, I fear God no matter what he says. Oh, to be like that, brethren. And then God provided the substitute ram. Obviously, a picture of Christ laying down his life willingly for us. What are we to learn from Abraham's example? Look at verse 22 now in James, would you? 
You see, here it is. This is what you're supposed to see. You see that faith was working with his works. What are we to learn from Abraham's faith? That it was working with his works. The word working is synergeo. We get our word synergy from that. Faith works in synergy with Abraham's works to unfold a godly life. That verb is in the imperfect tense, which means that his faith was continuously working in that synergy with his works. That proves that Abraham's faith was not a kind of flash-in-the-pan kind of faith where he just had a mere mental assent to it. He never really followed any, anybody or did anything with it. He just believed it. It was a dead orthodoxy, a one-time faith that later fizzled. No, it wasn't like that at all. His faith was continuously working with his works. His faith stuck and his faith grew. His faith synergistically energized all of the works that followed. Abraham was not a man of works without faith. He was a man of works caused by his faith, you see? Please notice that there can be no works of faith unless you first have what? Faith. Faith has to be there as the energizing principle so that the works will emerge. A full and hearty trust in the promises of God is the prerequisite for any of Abraham's works and for ours, of course, as too. Some people think of faith and works this way. They think like, here's faith as one horse, and here's works as another horse. And look at them. They're sort of independent there. They would work a lot better if we put them together and harness them together, and now they can pull the chariot faster. No, that's not it. It's not that faith and works work alongside one another. It's that faith energizes the works to happen. There are no works apart from faith. Some people say, well, I have works and I have faith. Let's put them together. That'll make me better. No. Any truly good deeds that anybody does have to come because they already have faith in Jesus Christ. Any actions that the Pope calls for, or that any other religious leader for that matter calls for, to be moral, to do right things, if you did them, they'd be dead works, not works of faith. And God's not pleased with that. The only thing God is pleased with are those who trust him and from that trust then act on that faith. That's what pleases God because he wants you to be loyal to him and trust him and know him. And if you do that and understand him and then you work, that work is an offering to him and he loves it. The rest of it is just for show, for man's pomp, for his pride, for his own credit, and God hates all human boasting. And that's where religions are that are religions of works. So this is not synergism where man cooperates with God, a little bit of my work, a little bit of God's work. That's not what he means. This is a faith that's active and produces works. That's how faith and works go together. Faith energizes works. People who do good works before faith aren't really doing good works. Not as God counts them. Faith in God's Bible promises must come first. I wonder if you have faith in the Bible. You have faith in the promises of God. You may have faith that God exists, but do you have faith in the promises of God? That's saving faith. A living faith energizes good works so that living faith and good works are inseparable. Remember, we said that faith always produces love. Wherever there's really faith, there's going to be love that follows. We say it this way, faith is the root and love is the fruit. Oh, you guys are good. You're better than me. Love does not produce faith. Faith produces love because love is a work. 
And that's why God's kind of love, again, I have to say, not the worldly tolerance, we're all evil, let's all like one another's evil and get along and, and, and help one another to do our evil. That's not love. But God's kind of love tells you whether or not a person is truly saved or not. Now, James has more to teach us about the relationship of faith and works. Look at the last part of the second half of verse 22. And it says, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. In what sense do works perfect faith? This is interesting. Well, it does not mean that the works prove that Abraham's faith was perfect. Abraham had strong faith. Abraham was a great example of faith. That doesn't mean he had perfect faith, and that's not what this is saying. The word perfected here, teleao, has caused some misunderstanding. I really like the ESV's translation. It says, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Perfected is also a word that can be translated matured or completed or brought to its intended goal. There's a mission or task, and it completes that mission or that task. Don't think of perfection in the sense of absolutely no mistakes, 100% perfect and pure. No, it has to do with there's a goal, and the thing has been brought to its intended goal now. Faith, in other words, comes to its goal, its fruition in works. There's a close grammatical parallel uh, to James here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, which says this. I'll read it for you. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Our love does not complete God's love or perfect God's love. God's love is already perfect. What it means, rather, is that God's love comes to expression or reaches its goal when we respond to one another in love. We have love for one another. So get the connection. True faith produces real works. What are those works like? Love and obedience towards God. Those works of obedience complete the faith. They bring faith where faith was supposed to be brought. Faith is not supposed to be this, I believe in God and just be there stale and inactive. Faith is supposed to have a goal. Why do you have faith? Why did God give you faith? What's the intended goal? Where is it leading? And the answer, it's supposed to lead itself into works. And that's why if you don't see the works, there's no faith. And that when the works finally come, those works, particularly when you're at the end of a man's life or end of a woman's life, and they're practicing fully these works of faith, you look at them and say, that person's faith has now been measured out and worked out and has now been completed in the works. That's what he's saying. That's what he's writing. The goal of faith in God's promises is not to say, I have faith in God's promises. The goal of faith in God's promises is to obey God. That's why God gave you faith, so that you would be busy obeying, so that that faith would be energized. You'd find the things that God wants you to do. You'd find the works that he wants you to do, and you wouldn't sit on your hands. You wouldn't sit on your religion, but you'd be active with that, you see, looking for how God wants to use you, how, how that faith is supposed to change your thinking and change your actions, and it leads to something. The reason why God gave faith to Abraham in the first place is so that he would obey him fully, and he tested him whether he would obey him fully by taking him up that mountain and saying, sacrifice your son, and he did. Only at that point did faith reach its intended goal. And there's more. Look at verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Same thing Paul quoted. Same exact verse. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, one of the most important verses in all the Bible. This event, Genesis 15, 6, where it says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, that event happened 
some 30 years prior to the offering of Isaac. So we're going to rewind in Abraham's life a little bit and look at this. That pronouncement happened right after Abraham had gone off the battle in Genesis chapter 14 and had rescued his nephew Lot. You remember that story? And brings him back to the land. He has all the spoil from the battle and everything like he's probably tired. Goes into his tents. God gives him a vision. Takes him outside and shows him all the stars. Now for all you city dwellers, I want you to know that there's actually a lot more stars up there than you've seen when you come out. You count maybe eight or nine or something like that from all the city light. You've ever been out in the country, you realize there are a lot of stars out there. Amen, country people? In today's message, Pastor Tom reminded you of the importance of having both faith and works. You learned about Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his only son because he had faith in God, and his faith changed the course of history, making him the father of many nations. Work done by genuine faith have the power to change people's lives. Amazing what the Lord can do through you, if you just believe. I am so glad you joined me today to dig deeper into God's Word. Before we share what's coming up next time, I'd like to give you the opportunity to join us in sharing the gospel message here at Discover Hope. Would you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this ministry? We're a listener-supported radio program, and all gifts are very appreciated. You can get all the information and donate online by visiting hopebible.org radio. That's hopebible.org slash radio. Next time on Discover Hope, Pastor Tom will discuss the difference between works of faith and dead works. You'll learn that works done out of self for your own glory are dead works, but works done in faith bring glory to God. Next time with Pastor Tom, you'll learn also that active faith produces works for the kingdom of God. For when faith is leading the way, God can do incredible things through you. To listen again to today's message in the book of James, visit hopebiblechurch.org and look under the sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word. So join us again right here on Discover Hope.